Welcome to the SAMA Podcast, where we talk to the most experienced people in B2B to find answers to one simple question. How can you become and remain essential to your strategic customers? Tune in as our guests reveal what it takes to become the supplier they cannot afford to lose. Learn how to level up your account management strategies to promptly deliver speed, convenience, and success to each customer. Let's jump into the discussion right now with Denise Fryer and Harvey Dunham. So I have a real treat for you in store today. We've got a special guest who's going to be talking about one of the most complex topics that strategic account managers face, and that is how to manage global customers and grow them. And so pleased to have a repeat podcaster. He's getting to be a regular around these parts. Noel Capon, professor of marketing in, at Columbia University. And I would say the one of the leading academics in the subject of strategic and key account management. So Noel, welcome back to the SAMA podcast. Thank you, Harvey, very much. Very pleased to be here and right. to support SAMA. Thank you. You're a great supporter. We I don't know where we'd be without you. <laughs> so Noel, this whole topic of growing and managing global customers, what are the biggest challenges? Why is this such a big issue that organizations face when managing global accounts and how do they overcome? That's a big question, Harvey. But I think the way I look at it, I try and take a sort of a historical perspective. If we go back 50, 60 years, the major way for firms to interface with their customers was through a regular sales force, you know, typically geographically organized, where a salesperson would have a territory and be responsible for the customer contacts in that territory. That salesperson would brought out to a district manager, a first-line sales manager, something like that. The first-line sales manager might have half a dozen or even up to 10 or even maybe a dozen salespeople reporting to them. That district sales manager reported to a regional sales manager who had several district sales managers, and they'd report up probably to a sales VP or sales manager. The sales, these customer relationships were typically handled domestically. And then somewhere back here in, in a few years, after the Second World War, maybe in the late 40s, early 50s, some senior sales executive discovered the 80-20 rule. Then we started seeing the development of key account, typically they call them key account management in Europe, typically strategic account management in the United States. And we saw the development of these programs. Often they were actually called national account management programs. The predecessor of SAMA was called NAM. It was the National Account Management Association. And those programs basically were have been fairly successful, as we see by the growth of SAMA and the many people that are going to come to the upcoming SAMA conference. SAMA has really grown in its activities, the annual conference, and then their certification programs. SAMA will certify other programs for organizations. It also has its own certification, education programs, and so forth. But basically, that has been all domestic and the success has been domestic. But now what's happened over the years is those big domestic customers that companies have become global. And essentially there are two 
I see it as sort of two major issues to be contended. First of all, I had a very senior look at what's the best organizational structure to set up a global account program. That has been very difficult for firms because it's not always the case, but in most cases, firms by country, there are country managers, and those country managers report upwards. And many today report into what we call a geographic area structure, where there's the firm may have an Americas division with organized and directed by a regional vice president. And then there would be EMEA, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And then there would be Asia or probably Asia Pacific, because those structures, the Asia structure normally includes Australia and New, and New Zealand. So those are very well-developed structures with very strong vice presidents, very strong country managers. The problem is that that's often not the way that the customer views the world by domestically. They want to view it globally. Well, a simple example would be, so let's suppose a customer is buying from your company, you're their supplier, and they buy, say, 30 units in Germany and 40 units in France and 20 units in Britain and 60 units in the United States and 15 units in Japan. They're making these different contracts and someone in procurement, and when we've, been, we've seen global expertise increase over the years, says, hey, look, we've got these sort of little contracts for 20, 50, 40 units a year. If we add that together with a company, we're actually buying 300 units from your company around the world. We think that if we buy 300, we'd rather have one contract rather than a dozen little contracts. And we think, by the way, that we should get a better price for if we're buying 300 and if we're buying 20 here and 40 there. But then in the geographic area structure, there's no one to talk to. There's no one in the supplier company who has responsibility for that customer around the world. And it's been very difficult, I think, for the supplier companies to figure out how to organize to deal with global customers. Now, there have been in, in recent years, some companies have developed new organizational structures that are proving fairly successful in dealing with another issues. So the how do we organize for addressing global customers? I think that's one of the major problems. So that's at the sort of corporate level. And then there's the issue for the individual global account manager. I mean, it's difficult enough if you're a strategic account manager dealing with a major customer in, in one country. But now if you're going to have some responsibility for that customer around the world, that's a very different issue. And so there are some ways to go about that from the point of view of the global account manager that I think are very important. So in answer, broad answer to your question, Harvey, I think there are two issues. One is sort of at the corporate, the organization structure level. And then secondly, at the level of the global account manager, how to do their job and do a better job with their customers. Right. No, thanks for that overview. It certainly makes it clear, I would say, what the problem is. I might just ask you to, to clarify one point because you brought up something that I know I've heard of but not everybody's heard of it, surprisingly enough, which is the 80-20 rule. Could you just spend a moment and explain that for people so that they understand the significance of these customers? Well, I have this sort of view 
that somewhere back in in the distant past, maybe in the 40s or 50s, some senior executive in sales read Animal Farm, written by George Orwell. And in Animal Farm, that's the farm that gets taken over by the pigs. The chief pig says somewhere along the line, he says, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. And I think the senior sales executive said, ah, I can apply that to my business. All customers are equal, but some are more, they all get revenue, but some are more equal than others. And anyone who listens to this, just look at the list of customers and how much revenue you get from from each customer and take the top 20% of those customers and see what percentage of the revenue comes. And what you'll find is a very skewed distribution. Typically, companies have a few customers that give them a lot of revenue, and then many more customers that are also very important and maybe give in the future give a lot of revenue, but don't give so much. So the notion is that if you've got a relatively small number of customers giving you a large percent of the revenue, maybe you've got to spend a little more time, a little more effort worrying about those major customers than you do the other customers. If you lose one of those those customers, these major customers, or in fact, gain a new one, that's a very big deal and kind of a major impact on the future of the organization. So you just have to worry about the amount of effort that goes into major customers. And that cuts across a lot of areas of the firm. So for example, what you don't want to do is put a rookie salesperson up against one of those major customers. The person you want to address that customer, who is typically we call those account managers rather than salespeople or sellers, you want those to be fairly senior people who, who know their way around your company, know the way around or can learn their way around the customer company. People who have some degree of experience, maybe a lot of gray hair for some of them, but who can really do a first-rate great job. It also speaks to the issue of where senior executives, you know, CEOs spends their time. I mean, there's one question, a critical question for many companies, which I've done some work on and, and Samo executives and I go, and Pat Harvey is going to do some work on is that looking at the role senior management plays in dealing with customers. I mean, the CEO has a lot of things on his or her mind. That's absolutely certain. But one they should be worried about or be concerned about is what's their relationship with their major customers. Right. Well, thank you for taking the time to illustrate the absolute importance of these customers that you can't afford to lose. I mean, that's really the key point. And so from an organizational perspective and the fact that doing business globally is we've all known for the last three years, it's just become absolutely very, very difficult challenge. Global supply chain issues and turbulence, COVID. I mean, there's been so many. What is it that companies can do to organize themselves to make sure that they treat these customers well. Let me give you an example. It goes back a few years, but it concerns one of the firms that's probably has the best reputation for dealing with customers, and that's the IBM. So I'm speaking IBM in a few years ago when it was sort of all about mainframes. It was IBM and the seven, the seven dwarfs. Something that happened in Europe. IBM was organized by country. There was IBM Britain and IBM France, IBM Germany, IBM Japan, and so forth. Each with their CEOs and regular functions, you know, marketing, maybe production, maybe even R&D. So those, those country managers are pretty important. And so this is a situation that occurred in Germany. In IBM Germany, one of its major customers was Exxon. In part, the reason 
that Exxon was so important to IBM was that Exxon had its European data center was located in Germany. So over the years, IBM did very well with Exxon. IBM's products worked, the mainframes worked, the software worked, and they had good service. So IBM served Exxon very well. Exxon was very pleased with IBM's service and gave IBM a lot of business. And in that business, capital goods, and so it's sort of fairly lumpy. The revenue doesn't come in every year or some comes in every year. With capital goods, you you get maybe a bit a good year, you sell a lot, and then maybe you you have a couple of down years, and then you you sell a lot more. So that was the way things had been. And, and at this point in time, IBM had just had a, got a very big contract with Exxon. So there's a meeting between Exxon people in Germany and IBM Germany, and they go through what you go through sort of meetings. At the end of the meeting, the people say to IBM, but well, yeah, it's a good meeting, everything's fine. We're going to be, but we are going to be making one change. And the IBM people ask what that is. And the Exxon said, well, we're actually going to move. I know we've bought all this stuff recently, but we're going to move our data center. You're not very far, just a few miles down the road, but we'll need a little bit of help maybe from your service guys to help us take it down and set up again. IBM said, oh, that doesn't seem like a problem. And I says, well, there's just one point about it. We're going to move it across a country border. We're moving it from Germany into Denmark. The IBM guy said, well, we'd be sorry to lose you as a customer in Germany, but IBM Denmark, I'm sure we can arrange for you to, for IBM Denmark to pick up that relationship. So IBM Germany speaks to IBM Denmark and the response they get is over my dead body. We don't want to deal with Exxon. They're your customer. You stick with them. And IBM is the German guy said, well, what's the issue? And the Denmark people say, look, we run a pretty type ship in Denmark. We have revenue requirements from, from corporate and we and profit requirements. And we meet those profit requirements, but we do that by running a pretty tight ship. So we're pretty lean in terms of our service engineers. People go out to, out to customers. We make sure they're working all the time. There's no downtime. So we just don't have the capacity to bring along, to take on such a huge customer, especially there'll be not only the regular maintenance, but also the issue of getting them set up in their new Danish location. So we're not interested. This is a surprise to Germany and Germany sort of thinks about it. They say, one of the things we could do, and so I understand the issue, one of the things we could do is we have some of our German engineers, German service engineers, come and help with the resetting up in Denmark. This happened, I think, in the 80s. And the Danish IBM guy says, well, we had a bunch of visitors from Germany in the early 40s, didn't go down so well. We just can't do that. would be unable to have a set of German engineers in Denmark, just wouldn't work culturally. Now, eventually they sort of, I don't know, not sure exactly what they do. Maybe they sent some British people or something. They sorted it out. But that gives you a sense of, of the problem that everyone would agree that for IBM in total, for, for Exxon to move to Denmark, Denmark and Denmark to give the appropriate service, it would be good for IBM in total. It would not be good for IBM, IBM Denmark. They wouldn't be seeing any revenue in the near future because there had just been this big deal in Germany. Plus, they've got a real problem with managing their service operation. So the problem you get into is that organizations are made up of parts of different parts and what's good for one part may not be good or even what's good for the company 
may not be good for one particular part of that company. So you've got to figure out an organizational structure with appropriate responsibility and authority that enables the company both to serve the customer without creating major internal conflict. That's not an easy thing to do. Interesting. Yes. No, it's very, very clear. That's painful to hear too. I mean, it's, you I mean, think about it, it's I'm giving you a customer. If you can just get, you know, in this particular case, people to think about the fact, well, don't think about next year. Think about the next 10 years. Yeah. These data centers are going to be there for a long, long time. You've got lots of opportunity. It's almost like planting a seed and watching it grow. But I know very well what the problems are. This like, oh no, after the seed has grown and it's producing lots of fruit, then we'll, then we'll help you out. Yeah. It's your problem until then. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, I don't know what the issue is, the specific issue here. Maybe this is a hot, the Danish country manager is a high flying executive. They see themselves in Denmark for two or three years. They're creating good results and then they're looking for some other, other position. But if they take on this extra, or if they somehow try and figure out, if they take on Exxon, ends up dropping their profits over the next few years, that's going to play havoc with someone, some individual's promotion prospects. And, and I don't know if that was the, the issue here, but you come across that all, all, the, all the time. The conflict between what's good from my my part of the company and what's good overall is, I mean, we see it all over corporate life, but we really see it near this sort of example. I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast will have their own examples from their own firms where they've seen this sort of thing play out. No, you're absolutely, I mean, I've asked for 40 years, one question, what's your most difficult customer, your internal customer or external customer? That's right. Internal, 100% of the time. Doesn't matter what industry, what company. So yeah, it, so that's part Part of the challenge for global, but then there's also the ability, the SAM, the strategic account manager or key account manager, whatever term is being used, to be able to get their own organization to behave, even though it's difficult. And what skill are you seeing that the key account managers and strategic account managers of today have to master to be successful? Okay. Well, I think the, the, uh, there are several. I have a group of these. I call them the Acumen Sextet. These are sort of six areas of competence, if you like, that the global account manager has to have. And just sort of very quickly, they've got to have competence. They've really got to know their customer. And that's why, in general, we need to have seasoned executives who know their way around organizations, who can develop those these sets of relationships with customers. They've also got to know their way around their own organizations. In, in other words, what they hopefully do is identify needs at the customer, but then they've got to be able to dig, because we're now dealing with big companies, typically, you've got to be able to dig into their own organizations to figure out where the expertise is that they can bring to help solve the customer's problems. There are two important areas. Thirdly, they've got what I have, what I call business acumen. I think a number of years ago, it was sufficient to bring the company's resources to the customer and solve some sort of problem, you know, satisfy some sort of need. But I think increasingly is we want to make sure the economics are right. So what that means from the point of view of the account manager, 
they have to have an ability with the finances to be able to figure out, to be able to show the customer that, okay, if you buy our product or service, it's going to do the job, but it will do so in such a way that you will benefit financially. And I'm seeing that more and more. I think another important issue is, is to manage teamwork. You know, if we fight, can manager identifies a need, a problem in the customer, he or she has then got to go back into their own company and pull together, maybe from different parts of the organization, a team which can come together, solve this problem, satisfy by this need. And they've got to have the appropriate personal acumen. They've really got to be straight shooters. To The customer has to know that they can really trust the account management. That doesn't happen overnight. That's built up very slowly by a series of appropriate decisions, not letting people down, keeping confidences, and so forth. What the account manager has, the global account manager especially, is a knowledge of what goes on in the customer company that very few people in the customer company, it it sort of comes with the job that the account manager talks to or should be talking to people all over the world that represent the customer and the customer's different divisions, different functions. They've got to work hard. I mean, and it's difficult being a global account manager. I mean, it's one thing to be an account manager where you cover a huge territory, like for instance, the, the US. I mean, that's difficult enough in its own right. But now you're you're dealing across time zones, you're dealing with different languages, you need to be enthusiastic, you need to have a lot of stamina to be able to be able to deal with that. And to the point that you made, Harvey, you've got to manage both some people who work for you in a different country who have their own organizational issues. I mean, if we're dealing with, let's suppose I'm the global account manager for Siemens. Siemens, from based in Germany, is my customer. But also I have operate, we as a company have business dealing with Siemens in, say, Argentina or Peru or something like that. I'm not going to be going to Peru every time Siemens has an issue. I presumably have got someone in Peru who's working with me, but does that person work for me or do they work for the country manager in Peru or in Latin America? And so those are difficult issues. I've got to figure my way around those. And that's why we generally think of people a little more senior managing these major global accounts. Wow. It's not easy. I think about it. And, and I guess this is the reason, as I understand it, you're going to teach a new executive education course to try and help leaders of companies. Yeah, we at Columbia in our, our executive education are putting on a basically a two afternoon program. I think it's the first one's at the end of June, like from two to five, something like that, one day, and then the next day. And we'll work through these these issues. We'll probably, and it, what's great from one of our customers, a person who signs up for this program, they'll hear from me and hopefully. I've got a few things to say, but they also hear from their other participants who also have their own issues and would have a combination of lecture and discussion and conversation. And so what I'm hoping is that someone who signs up for that program will come up 
out of it, recognizing that the issues they have, they're not the only ones. First of all, other people have these same issues, but we'll probably get some ideas from each of the participants on how they're dealing with issues. They'll hear from me and some experience that I have. So I've done in the, some of these in the past. So I think it's hopefully going to be very valuable for participants. Well, it's certainly a, a huge problem and a huge challenge. And I hear aspects of these challenges almost every day here at SAMAS. I expect you'll, a lot of people clamoring to attend. That's wonderful. I'm thinking about this with organizations that have struggled with these issues that you've helped. And what kind of results do you see when people really decide to that they've got to tackle this issue with global accounts? And what kind of results do they get? As What's the payback? A couple of companies that I've worked with, and we'll talk about this in a program, I've done some work with people at, at IBM and at Cisco, where they, they have really tackled this. For IBM, it was a problem for many years. This had a very good domestic programs, domestic strategic account management programs. But I remember speaking to a very senior guy at IBM, whose name is actually escaping me, but he ran, he was sort of a legend at IBM in sales and marketing, ran sales and marketing at IBM. And he said to me, he said, one of the major customers come and said to me, you guys have got to change your name. And the executive said, what do you mean change our name? International business machines. What's wrong with that? And the customer said, well, well, that's the name, but you're not really international. And you're very good domestically, but you're not able to deal with these issues like the, the Denmark one that came up that operated across countries. That's a major issue. But IBM finally resolved that issue. This was a Lou Gerstner, Sam Palmisano issue. They resolved. They had a task force look at it. They found they were not getting as good growth from their major customers as they were with some others. So they developed a system which gave a lot of responsibility but and authority to a set of global account managers. They called them global account directors. They, they selected them from seasoned executives who had often went back into the field. They may have been in the field earlier in their careers. They went back in to manage individual accounts. I think there were about 30 in the initial batch that IBM set up and some very positive results. The one executive I got very close to, but now former executives, a guy called Gus Mikish, with whom I think you know, the you met Gus, I think, RPM, we wrote a book together about his career. The CEO gave these 30 account managers, hand-selected from senior IBM executives, a lot of responsibility, but a lot of, a lot of authority. And just to, in answer to your specific question, the my friend Gus, who was at the time very seasoned account manager, was given Citibank or Citigroup as his customer. At the time that Gus acquired Citigroup as a customer, IBM's revenues from Citigroup were plus or minus $200 million a year. But IBM thought that this was should be much higher. Gus retired out of that position something like six or seven years later, revenues were $600 million a year. Literally tripled in five or six years, he tripled revenues. And that's, I think that's a pretty good example of what you had two things going on. You had both a lot of support from the top. First of all, you had the development of this program by Gerstner and Palmisano, but then you had support from the two of them. You know, periodically, Gus would call on the CEO and the CEO would come and there would be a meeting, but also other senior executives, like the chief financial officer, would visit with Gus. Gus had access to not only the CEOs, 
but also other senior executives would come in and support what he was doing at the account. And that really, really paid off. Boy, tripling Triple. those kinds of numbers are mind-boggling. <laughs> and what a great way for Gus to be able to end his career. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, a great ending of a career. I mean, he'd formerly done some major work with as the strategic account manager for Merrill, because Merrill was largely Merrill Lynch, which largely domestic. And earlier on, he worked at a regional bank in New York, which was also domestic. His first major global customer. I don't have a good sense on the how the other account directors did, but I think I think basically positive. So maybe just to whet people's appetite just a little bit more. Right. What are other best practices? Just a handful of two or three best practices that you see organizations doing to interface more effectively with their global accounts and including providing support to the global account manager. Okay. Well, I I think one best practice is executive sponsorship, which is we see that in domestic key accounts, of course, but, but certainly in global key accounts. And here, the basic idea is that someone typically from the executive committee, a very senior executive will, quote, be assigned, quote, to one of these global accounts. So that Gus working with Citigroup, he had a senior IBM executive who was his executive sponsor. And that executive sponsor played two, basically two roles. One role was to go with him, be with him in meetings with customers. So it was someone who was not at the CEO level, sort of in between, if you like, more senior than Gus, who was able to make some commitments that maybe Gus couldn't make about, about the IBM. So this was someone who had knew what was going on at the company at the highest levels. So brought some grab gravitas, an extra gravitas at the customer, but also played a major role internally. So if Gus found roadblocks, the sort of roadblocks we talked about the Denmark situation years before, he or she would be able to work internally to smooth the road at within the company. Now, I, I believe that it's the case that executive sponsor programs, when they were first set up, were mainly set up for the first job of adding gravitas at the customer level, but actually, in reality, are very, very powerful, very, very important internally at getting stuff done, removing roadblocks. I think that's probably one of the more important, successful organizational changes we've seen over you know, the last 10, 15 years that can be very, very positive for programs overall. Now, you get some problems with these. Sometimes the account manager doesn't fit well with the senior executive. So sometimes you have to arrange divorces and new marriages. Sometimes that has to happen. But overall, I think that's been a very, very positive, very positive view. Well, I can assure anybody that attends this class that it'll be a treat. You'll learn tons of things from Noel. And it's your experience Every time I speak with you, I learn new things and write things down. So I wish you all the best luck with this class, Noel, and as always, for sharing it with Sama and giving us an opportunity to share it with the community. They love to hear you and hear from you, and nice to know what you're up to next. Okay, well, thanks, Harvey, for that that support. <laughs> Not going to say this because you said some nice things about Columbia, but being, as you know, I've been a board member of Sama now for, it must be getting on a decade, and it really is an organization that's devoted to to the idea of the 80-20 rule, basically, in terms of strategic management in general. This is not the sort of first 
effort in Global Cup Manager because some work years ago by, I'm going to blank on the name, Dave from Xerox and also an IBM, IBM colleague, we did some work. But anyway, we're hoping to bring this to people in general, the SAMA community in, in particular, and hoping many will sign up and hopefully they will learn a lot. That's certainly the goal. I'm sure they will. Thank you so much. And just, you're a great contributor and we so appreciate it. Thanks for everything you do. Thank you very much.